breached the Black Helpline. The revolution will not be televised. You know, they're still Word. keeping that block mentality. Same thing happens when I go to the West Side. You know? Oh, for sure. That's like, the one they know. Oh, you still sound white. I go, no, I sound like I know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, what you be reading books and shit? Yo, John John, y'all be reading books. <laughs> what y'all be reading the books about, man? Y'all niggas be weird, man. His girl work at a book place in the library, they, nigga. They, they keep books. <laughs> they actually go buy books. <laughs> Fucking bookworm. Go buy so books. Media. What a novel concept. PDFs and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff's notes. <laughs> buy the Cliff notes. Go read more books. So we have John John on today. Yay. Welcome. What's up, Welcome fam? to the What's Black Helpline. Welcome to the black side of the helpline. I love it. What a trio to be here with. Yeah, we all go back a minute. Quite you know? a few minutes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 We decided we had to start calling them hours. It's so far back. You know? We could do that. <laughs> we too. go back a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> Decades. New back. All right, John, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, yeah. My name is John John Scott. I, uh. With two, one, J, one, one or two J's? Uh, two J's. John. John, I no Scott, I've been here for about 30 years, um, moved here from Chicago. Uh, currently, I work with bands, artists, and sort of a co-op uh, label called Sound Verde Records, and I work with a uh, group Astro Black, Lady Midnight, Greg Grease, Mike Yan, a handful of other kids, and a few other people. And what uh, where I'm at today, at least, is like uh, watching how the young kids work and how the young kids relate back to kids under them. So I'm watching a group of kids. I've been working with them for about five, seven, ten years. Now they're like 30, 31, 32, 33, and they're like elder statesmen to the young kids. <laughs> oh, that's they, amazing. Their, their level of respect that they get and the level of respect they feel they have to give back. It's like, yo, we could do this, but we could do this. No, no, this, we should work over here and do this project, or we should do this over here. And because they get an opportunity because of their music and music opportunities, they get an opportunity in other fields to do things like teach, get grants, speak before people, and it's like things they've never done before. They get to play in places like we played the walker the other day where you never thought you would play before. Well, if you change a conversation to you never thought you would be there to you expect to be there, then it's a different broad stroke. When I first came here, after I was here for a while, actually, I moved to Toronto uh, with a kid who's a producer named Doc McKinney. And we had a label up at Sony Music for a little while. And I remember being at the label, they were like, what do we do with these Negroes in here? They're gonna make the hits. They're gonna be like Jimmy Jam. They're gonna, they're gonna be like Jermaine Dupri. And we're like, no, we wanna be like Sub Pop. <laughs> we wanna make a few left field things and see if they're cool work. And then we realized, wow, left field does not work when you're talking to a broad spectrum. But what I used to tell them, because they were like, John, how do we market this group? How do we market that group? I go, it sounds like this. Market how you market all the white groups. And then it's like, you know, um, treat us like we're white. They're like, yo, what do you mean, John? Treat us like we're white. Give us the same shit you give everybody else. Don't do anything extra for us. We want nothing. Treat us like we're white. We want nothing more than that. The t-shirt, the every fucking thing. Treat us like we're white. Give us the same opportunities, the same platform, the same budget that you give the same bands Word. at the same thing. And that was something I learned at record labels. And I was like, wow. And bada bing, bada boom. So anyway, that's a whole business thing. But one thing I thought about was, you know, Treat me like I'm white. Today, um, watching kids find, like, get woke and find their blackness is kind of interesting because there's a, a million different contradictions in it, but it's so refreshing to see. I think 
that since I've been here for the 30 years, the past four or five years seems like the most artistic blossoming time since I've been here, period. Or particularly the most diverse artistic and blossoming Like you mean in the, for in yourself? The, you know, for, for the music. For in the, the Twin Cities? For here? the music scene in, in Twin Cities, traveling around the world, seeing bands get out of town before bands can ever leave. Before there was like five white bands, and they was, that was the Minneapolis sound. One was hardcore, one was punk rock, one was gutter, one was country, and that was Minneapolis. And so that was cool. But in the past 10 years, the kids who grew up in Minneapolis, they're not thinking that way. They, they, they grew up, um, they didn't grow up with, they grew up with music in their pocket, everything is in their pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have access to everything. So your little secret band over there, there, there's no secret, there's no secret. You like a band in Tokyo the same way you everybody, like a band somewhere else. everybody knows yeah, about because it. Everybody, because everybody has access. Now, everyone has access. Before, they didn't. Everyone's phone now gives, gives you access to all this. So, so I'm just very excited about the music and the artistic um, avenues that are happening in Minneapolis. And there's a lot more brown kids and various kids of um, various demographics who are having opportunities that may not existed to them before, I guess is what I want to say. And I was thinking particularly about like the Walker or the Guthrie or whatever, where you know there might be one black person there when before there was none. But that one black person is somebody who's probably bringing in other people with them in other ways. So anyway. Do you think do you think that the that up that uptake that uptick in cultural you know exploration towards music right now, especially in the last five to ten years, is that do you think that's because of what uh, what uh, our early musicians did in t- in town here, or you think it's a more of a because of a globalism about I music? I I'm not sure how much they know about the local musicians there in town. People think of local musicians, you think of like Prince, Soul Asylum, Who's Could Do, or whatever. And they may have some allegiance to some of those type of things, but I think, and the newer group of kids, they've got their own sound. Mm-hmm. They, they have a refreshing sound, they, 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 and that's, what's, that's why they're breaking apart from other things for whatever reasons. And, you know, it's not just their music. It's pop music is pop political, too. Yeah. It, it's very, very political. So you don't get the A to B without, you know, being friends or knowing somebody or blah, 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 blah. Love it, and I think it's. I, I'm just. I'm just really excited about seeing new artists like a Dizzy Faye or like a Doer or a Velvet Negroni or Astro Black or whoever who is like. They take it on themselves to go. I should do something different. I should do something new, and and actually find an audience when it wasn't one them, wasn't one there for them before. I remember years ago Lizzo asking me about playing Pitchfork. Well, now she fucking rules Pitch. I mean, not Pitchfork, rules Afropunk. You know, I was over in London earlier this year, and I hit up her phone. I go, yo, where are you guys at? They're like, we're at Glastonbury. And it's like, yo, that's 100,000 people. Three or four years ago, you might not imagine that. But seeing somebody in front of you do it, it changes your peripheral and your perception of what's possible. Great. Not that everything is that possible, because everybody doesn't have um, a twerk and a flute to work on. So different lanes to take. Question. Do you think uh, a lot of these people are, like, self-managed? Uh, self-produced, self-promoted. Or I think it's a. I think there is a combination. I think everybody has to have a squad. Okay. I don't think people are like, oh, I'm just, I'm just here, and the label just discovered me because I was making this tune and it was rad. No, you were making that tune and it was rad, but your boy was in this band and she worked for that label and so and so passed your thing to this, and it's a lot of different politics that go into play, and that's a lot of. There's a lot of privilege in the music game and a lot of racism, a lot of other things, but you know that's that's just called life. Yeah. Is it getting yeah. easier, do you think? I don't think it's getting easier. I think I think the opportunities I think there's more opportunities and more more possibilities. I don't know if that's necessarily easier, but there's 
you know, you're always knocking on a door. And sometimes, sometimes I put out different things and I see how a response comes back. And it's like, sometimes people respond right away. Sometimes it takes a second. Sometimes you get no response. And you're like, well, what is it? What is it? Well, make a better song. <laughs> make a better painting. They didn't like that movie. They didn't like that book. It's not, it's not personal. I get two, 300 emails a day from various. And I, I've quit running my blog that I used to have several years ago. But I still get all these hundreds of things. I don't listen to any of them. So when I'm sending out the artists I work with, I don't expect... I expect the same thing. Like, why should you respond to me? You're getting tons of email that's going in your junk folder over there. Unless you know where it's coming from, then you're not paying any attention to it. Do you think the onslaught of all this, all this new creativity is creating um, kind of like a, a backlog of, of artists that, are, that may or may not ever get heard? And then you, you know, because I, 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 I get a lot of my new artists from streaming stations that I would never hear about, you know. So you think of like all this influx of, of new our artistic creation is creating kind of like this balloon where you know people are just reaching their hand in there and seeing what the next hot thing is well you know our, the, our culture moves faster now than we've ever moved before yeah so what's hot at, at 11 or 12 o'clock shit by three o'clock in the afternoon it might not be hot yeah. so so it's like yeah do things get overlooked of course they get overlooked do you got to do a lot of things to separate yourself yeah you could do everything and still nobody hears you you could be the greatest singer songwriter in the world and still no one could ever hear you um Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, there's not a either and or, but... Um, what about positioning? Well, what did you do to create your position? So it's like, mm-hmm. what, what is your position? I work with, with different bands, and it's like, you go, well, where is this band at? Can, can we do this, or can we headline this place, or can we headline this, or, or are, we a, are we an opening band, or are you a, a second-tier band? Or what you do, you see, do you see people now that Lizzo has broken out, and she's tagged Minneapolis? Do you think people are paying more attention to artists from Minneapolis now? Not necessarily. Really? Not necessarily. I, I don't think she's tagged Minneapolis per se. I think we tag her Minneapolis. She's mm-hmm. from Houston. She's from Detroit. She lives in other places, and she bigs up those other places just as much as she bigs up the five, seven years she was in Minneapolis. She tagged the Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said she's not dating a man on the okay. Minnesota Vikings. Uh, yeah. Well, let's yeah. go back to the 30 years that we've known. We've all basically known each other. Yeah. You know when story I tell people about coming to Minneapolis <clears throat> all the time that wow, you know, I came to Minneapolis and they've got white people there and, like, they believe what you say. <laughs> like, what, like, whatever you wow. say. Like, like whatever you say. Like, yo, yo, what's up, girl? They're like, yeah. I'm like, wow. Then you tell your boys back to the they're like, yo, man, they got white girls here. They believe what you say. So for somebody coming from a place like Chicago, our shit is grounded in a way different environment. So, you know, you think somebody's lying to you first because someone's always trying to take advantage. Because when you go get on the bus, when you go get on a train, everything is a situation that's about to happen. And so you're always aware of everything that's, that's yep. like kind of moving about you. And when you come to a place like this, and it's like Pleasantville, I was like shocked. I was like, this is like a big suburb. Like, it felt like, okay, like, um, no shit. like what, what's Chicago? Evanston. I thought the whole city was like Evanston. It, I was yeah, like, yeah. Cicero. Wow. <laughs> now, well, Cicero, no, Cicero. Cicero. I'm kidding. I know it's not Cicero. Cicero is, 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 that's is, like a is, is the racist extreme. Like, that's like, that's the northeast suburb. Or all yeah. the northeast suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, rep, that represents like a trailer parkism that's separate. Because that's where the Nazis and the KKK rat hold their rallies and things specifically there. Where in Evanston, it's like, that's the first place where I went to a, a college concert. It's the first time where I saw like Velvet Underground and Black Uhuru together. And I was like, wow, you can see a rock band and a reggae band at the same time. <laughs> but this is like, you know, 1984 or 1983 or something. So it's like, you know, for me, I was like, wow, it's like, it's mind opening to me to go, wow. 
people can go anywhere you can. I didn't think about that before because I lived in an area where everything is black. I grew up a black Muslim. Everything around you is black. I don't know white people come in black a lot, neighborhoods. A lot of segregation for, in black neighborhoods for, in Chicago. Ex- well, exactly. For what? We don't need we don't need you to be what what I need you to do. I need to go to school, I need to go to work, I need to come home. I don't need to play with you. I don't need to be that right. this is a big world. There's millions and millions of people. And Chicago's the most segregated place in the Western Hemisphere, give or take you know, two or three other cities where we're broke down so hard in Chicago. Black yeah. groups are separated among themselves. The way white groups are like broken into ethnic categories, black groups are separated the same thing. I think I'm this, I think I'm that, I think I'm here, we live in this area, we live in an area. It's just a, that's, that's a regular, regular neighborhood kind of activity. It seems like people are moving more into suburbs from what I oh, get yeah. from they, older people uh, They are, in moving, they are moving to the south suburbs now. You they know, seem to move My further cousins further all live in the south suburbs yeah. now, you know. My family all lives in the south side of Chicago, so when I go back, it's always like, it's like I'm going back through a trip through childhood, and I'm, this voyeuristic kind of strange feeling I have, it's like, wow. For everybody in my family, this is regular. For me, it's like I'm kind of guarded or watching everything that's around you. Yeah. Because not that many of my friends in Minneapolis carry guns. And so you might just be sitting there with somebody chilling, and it might be three or four guns in the car with you. And you ain't doing nothing but smoking a blunt. You're cooling. The dude is watching out for, like, the next cat. And then you hear people have conversations like, yo, man, you know, yesterday or two days ago, man, I walked all the way up to so-and-so street. Nigga, my car was broke, nigga. Six blocks, nigga. Ain't nobody do nothing. Ain't nobody shooting me, nigga. Ain't no nothing happened. I'm like, you must be kidding. And he's like, no. They're like, yeah, no, nah, niggas trying to kill that nigga, man. So it's like, it's just a, it's a different environment to go all the way from, like, knowing that all of your relatives live in this environment. And you live in, like, la-la world of, like, hey, I went to the Walker last week. <laughs> I played a DJ gig at a major art museum, and it was wonderful. Or I did a radio show here. Or I sold some records, but that that but that's fine because you know what you you don't you people who live here don't 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 understand it until they leave and go. Wow, that was kind of a peaceful place to live. You can always I see Minneapolis as a place you can always come back to. It's like. Go explore the world, and then you want to lounge out and chill out. Minneapolis is rad. It is. That's exactly. You know? it's exactly it. what it is. That's it, exactly right. what I do. I, I went to Toronto for eight years. Whatever. It's like, well, Minneapolis is there. It'll always be there. But geez, Toronto's like New York, but clean. It's little yeah. New York. <laughs> yeah. It's cleaner. Little New York. New York super, but, but super clean. Yeah. I like Toronto. So I love Toronto. Love Toronto. Really, too. really do. Great yeah. house music. You know, I was too. in I was in Toronto when I discovered me and Muji, I was in the studio with these guys and he got into an argument with these kids about Somali Crips. And he told us about Cedar Riverside. <laughs> and he told us he told us how all of his relatives in Rips. live live in Minneapolis, live in Cedar Riverside, and they Somali Crips. And so Mujah talked to him like, y'all ain't no Crips over here. He's like, wait a minute, Somali- whoa, wait, a- y'all live in the projects, nigga? Y'all live in the towers there? And this is like a good twenty years ago. And so thinking of that and thinking of where we are now, now Minneapolis, as we were twenty years ago. We there's more Ethiopians and Somalis live in Minneapolis than live anywhere else outside of Somalia and in, yep. in Ethiopia. Seventy six thousand. They all live here. There's two other places I think out, out in Maine or somewhere in the East Coast, and uh, they're sprinkled around. They're sprinkled around a lot of places. A Michigan. lot of places around Europe. A lot of places around the U.S. Yeah, Michigan. A lot of my father was in Michigan for a while with a group of brothers that came from like Orthodox dudes that came <coughs> and set up a camp like out in the wilderness or something, and they held their secretive meetings out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do. We do have a um, a cultural like melting pot here. 
you know now it's richer now. yeah now now it's a lot it's a lot richer than five years 10 years 20 years and 15 that 30 years ago when we were all meeting as we were discussing before we started recording the show tonight was very much like i know you i don't know you but i know you but i don't know you yeah it's cool yes. I, I say i just acknowledge you like peace peace yep cool we yeah. see each other hey i see you 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 the same third black dude I saw over here because there's only six of us that's watching, or like you say, nine when you gathered a whole group of everybody. But that was that was thirty years ago. Yep. The kids now they're super cool. Being black ain't nothing. Kids is like binary, non-binary, this that. Everybody's so cool that those little things that we were worrying about, they got thirteen other layers on top of that already. And I think they're managing their situations because they're juggling a lot multiple things at the same time in a lot cooler way. They're not, instead of holding it in and, like, crumpling, I think they just put it out. They put everything out. I don't know if that's where the therapy and all the other stuff comes from. That was also a foreign thing to me before I came to Minneapolis. Therapy. 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 A black Talking person about in urban city and therapy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> feelings? What you be feeling? Yeah. <laughs> no. They used to call that, that church. <laughs> I think the kids, I think kids today on a multitude of levels are just, you know, there's always, there's always, like, the... The sad boy, uh, I can't get over my own feelings or emotion or whatever. That's whatever. But I think most people um, seem to be doing a better aspect. Now, things like addiction and drugs and abuse and all these other things still play a major part into not having a normal lifestyle. You know, I've seen some of my very best friends become a lot more distant because of their actions. When you have certain actions and and you keep having those same, same actions over, it's like, it's harder to keep you included in everything because you're causing disruptions to your crew. And yeah. your crew can't be disrupted when you become adults. When you're kids, all that's cool, but when you start being adults, after a while, people got to put their foot down, and it's like, yo. And then you start seeing yourself like, yo, I'm ostracizing people. What's happening to him? What's happening to him? What's happening to her? And it's like, I feel guilty because, you know, you could be somebody to reach out, but at the same part, you got somebody else talking to you going, you know what, that's where a person is based on their actions and they have to figure out how to recover on their own. And if you right. keep recovering for them, they won't find that, that space. Right. But you think a lot of that, a lot of that, um, especially you live, live in an urban area, you know, comes from a lot of, people have a lot of PTSD, you know. And then when you become adults and you don't deal with it properly, like you say, you get into the addiction part, the drugs, the drinking, heavy drinking, things like that. You take that with with you as an adult. The people that are hanging around you got shit to do, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, look, man, I can't be I can't be out here getting caught up because no. I got shit to lose, you know. And we, you know, growing up in Chicago, especially, you end up with people like that a lot. And a lot of those times, you end up with a lot of those people, especially in a town like Minneapolis. You end up with those same types of people. That fall off. We got a couple friends that fell off after after everybody moved up here. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and um, you know, we had to let them go because they were causing too much drama. You know, in a in a place where you do actually have a decent chance to get your shit together. But that, but that, it wasn't letting them go so cavalierly. It's letting them go after 10, 15, 20 well, yeah, years. That's what I mean. sure, of course. I've known them, which even hurts a little harder because you do know them and you know that you're a part of their family and their family is a part of your family. Right. Even if. They may have a you may have a little distance that one of the people their family is still your, your right family. You know, just some, sometimes you just gotta let things go, even family. Well, you can't you know? fight the yeah. fight for other people. No. No. no, you cannot, unfortunately. Too much energy in that. Well, too much energy, but also then you're never attending to your own stuff, and then it becomes a really strange kind of codependent relationship, regardless of right of where y'all are at. 
Like, if you're doing all the work, that shit ain't fair. It's just not fair. No doubt. So, my man, um, let me ask you this. Since you've been up here on and off, and we, I mean, I've been up here on and off for 26 years myself, how do you feel, how do you feel like the, um, the, the environment has changed for, for black people up here, especially creatives, you know, who are, who are really intermingled in the fabric of the city, you know, in, on a creative level and stuff like that? Have I you, think do you to, think it's gotten worse to, I think there's or better? A way better multitude of, of avenues for younger creatives. One example, my goddaughter just graduated from MCAT, um, and she works at Juxtaposition, and she works with Project 400 Studio, and for her, she's got several mentors that are black. She's Puerto Rican, and to have black and Spanish mentors around her changes the whole ballgame. Deanna's a great mentor. It, it, it changes the whole ballgame because, you know, you're looking at people who are really successful and they're helping you. So I didn't see people getting that kind of help. I didn't see all the grants flourishing that I've seen around. My friend Syed caught a grant last year. Several of my friends caught grants in the last couple of years when before we were making fun of them. And we were like, yo, that's what the white boys do. My white, why do I, my white boys get all the grants? Well, he got the narrative. He got a language. It's, well, no, that's an excuse. He got it because he, he, he went after it. And he failed a million times, and he kept going after it, and kept going after it. And he didn't accept failure as an answer, as opposed to us. May, maybe we haven't even applied for it in the first time. Mm-hmm. So my natural instinct is to criticize, and then I go, well, wait a minute. Now that I realize this, that these things are possible, you can't get it if you're not asking for it. That's right. So That's if right. you're not applying for it, you can't lose if, you don't, if, you, if you're not in a ball game. you got to right. be in a ball game if you want to. I think there's so many opportunities now that... I didn't know about these young people that exist. When I see young painters, writers, other people just really, really flourishing. And they're like teenagers and like right out of MCAT, yeah. right out the university or whatever. And they've got people who are building them up. They just didn't come out of nowhere. person over here was helping. Somebody over here was helping. They had a mentor over here. So watching these young kids, I'm really, really excited because I see them, I see them growing. You see them going through phases. And you see them, especially ones who have mentors or who are in uh, – in a creative field, because I see mainly uh, the kids who are artists or the kids who are painters or, mm-hmm. you know, you're just very excited. And then I see the young class of uh, artists that I work with. And to me, I see them as being like mentors to people under them. And I see how that responds and I see their level of responsibility. And I thought, geez, I didn't have all that. You know, it's like, yo, you just want to go have a good time, make some noise and call it a day. And it's like, no, yeah. them, it's more serious. Just that's not good enough. You have to, what is, what is your purpose? What are you serving? What are you talking about? And they take that seriously. And they feel they have a responsibility to, to the Minneapolis black community because they figure if they get this level of success, then they have to be able to share that with the next person because they know everybody's not going to be able to get the same. Everybody, everybody's not going to get on city pages. Everybody's not going to get on a current. Everybody's not going to get on a radio and all these things. But if you do, you can at least show the next person how to go about it. Do you think that? Do you think they actually do take that road though when they do actually get a little get a little um, buzz? going back in and showing the other ones how to do it? Do you see that happening? Because I I didn't see a lot of it when we were growing up, but... I think with the kids I know, I see them work in groups. Okay. So because they work in groups, one person doesn't just flourish. They're flourishing, but the next person who produced them, he's also flourishing. The next next person with them. Now, everybody isn't going around handing out glad tickets. I mean, I face a lot of issues where I'm like, yo, why won't this band take us out on tour? Why won't this band? Because you know what? They don't fucking have to. Nobody has to do you any favors. They don't have to do nothing for you. One thing, the greatest thing I learned about the Nation of Islam was um, 
among the bad things I learned, one of the greatest things I learned was do for self. I came home from my from my father came home from work one day. He drove the bus for SEPTA for 13 years in Philadelphia, the bus and the trolley. And it was the funnest thing for me to go on a trolley with him on a bus every Sunday. Came home one day and he said, son, I'm not working for the white man no more. And I said, wow, well, what dad, which man are you going to work for? He said, son, I'm going to work for myself. And I was like, what kind of idea is that? Am I still going to get all my stuff, like the toys and all that? He's like, you, 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 son, you will be fine. We'll be A1. And then after a while, to see that struggle, to go through the politics and see struggle, one thing was always work for self. Don't make an excuse. Nobody cares about your excuse. Do something. Who cares about excuses? I used to do that same thing. This dude, because he did it because of this. He only did it because of that. She only did it because of this. You know what? They did it, and you didn't. Right. So something about what they did was working, and maybe instead of criticizing, maybe you could start taking some lessons. Like, how can they win? Besides they're being white, besides they having all these levels of privilege, besides all these levers, you know, well, like our parents always says, you got to be twice as good. So you can't be at the same level and just get by you got to do you got to be extra on your jump shot you got to be extra on your hook writing you got to be extra on your singing your cursing what your, your verses whatever you're doing you know just don't take no for don't take a failure as the answer you know there's always more opportunities i think in minneapolis there's a, a lot more flourishing and I, i've witnessed a lot particularly in the past five years of a lot of people who come and ask me for help how to book shows how to do this how that and then a couple years later you see them start doing the same exact thing themselves and it's like yo you're grown Make your own art. Make your own book a show. Dude, I don't. You don't need me to do that. You're a grown woman. You're a grown man. Handle your business. <laughs> that goes back to that. Old your clothes are way more one. expensive than anything I have on. I cannot afford anything you're dealing with. So it's like, yo, it's, you know, um, yeah, do for self. I like that. Do yeah, it with well, the crew, but do for self. I think we all four of us have been doing for ourselves for quite some time. Yes, no doubt. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, ma'am. Still am. Still am. John, thank you for being on the show, and we're gonna we're gonna bring you back for the next episode. I don't know why you thank brought you. me this time, but thanks but for having no, me. No man, it's a pleasure to no, be it's here. It's been a pleasure having oh, you, brother. No, we're not done with you. Yes, oh, we're not done with you. We'll spread the word <laughs> of the Black <laughs> Helpline. That's yeah, right. We're here to help. We'll spread it about. We're here to help, not to yeah. hurt. We're here to help. Those who don't know. Those who don't know. Now you know. Well, I'm malcontent. I'm Tricky Mickey. I'm Big Germ. Big Same nickname. Big Jerk. I'm right. John John Scott. <laughs> Peace. Part one. Part one. If you want to get in touch, please email us at blackhelpline at gmail, or you can Twitter at us at blackhelpline, or you can call us at 612-615-9636. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Take care. Bye. Right.